Hello dear listeners, thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. My name is Leila Mogalo and I'll be your moderator for the day. Joining me is an eloquence of lawyers, Paul Jeff, William Billy and Karen Koech from the University of Nairobi who double up as research assistants in their school of law. They will be discussing with us the 10-year constitutional journey of Kenya and impacts and effects on today's youth. So do stay tuned. So I'd like us to jump right into the discussion on the general constitutional journey. Uh, Karen, would you take us through the implementation and the general progress that has been made? Um, with regards to implementation of the 22 constitution, um, the document itself uh, provides for for each to be implemented, and that has been done so far in terms of structure, because implementation involves two, two things. One is the structure of the constitution, and the second one is the, the structure of the provision in terms of institutions, legislations, such like provisions. So in terms of the structures that the structures introduced, the devolved the system of governance has changed. The constitution provides for devolution. So it has transitioned from the central government. The executive judiciary and legislature are no longer so there's no there's no arm of government to supreme and the, the principle of checks applying as compared to the former dispensation which uh, the executive was somehow the head if I may say so and there was an imperial president and also for human the human rights protection in the Bill of Rights that's been implemented and also in terms of legislation the ones are in the sixth and seventh schedule of the constitution there are various legislations that were, that they have to be to be enacted in order in order to implement the constitutional provisions. So majority of the legislations, actually most of them have already been enacted. And the ones which are supposed to be the ones which are supposed to be revised so that they are in tandem with the constitutional provisions have also been done done exactly. Like um, those legislations concerning devolution such as the County Government Act, others concerning elections like the Elections Act, all these have been enacted in the family law section, the Marriage Act, Matrimonial Property Act, all these acts have come out due to the... So in that regard, constitutional implementation has really been done, considering even the, the body that was set up to implementation has already been dissolved because most of the structural and institutional um, provisions have already been has have already been implemented but in terms of maybe the spirit and and kenyans embracing the constitution so that you can see change that's when we are lagging behind considering we have a whole chapter six on leadership and integrity and at the moment our our leadership and integrity is low considering the number of corruption, the number of corruption cases that come up every day. So all in all, uh, in terms of structure and implementing the constitution, let's say the hardware of the constitution, Kenya has really transformed. 
but unfortunately it's not reflective of the society we are in so progress has been made in implementation but we still have a long a long way to go in terms of living up to the to the standard the constitution and visions for kenya thank you Tarek, once again for sharing on the process and the progress that has been made so far I'd like Paul to jump into the discussion and maybe tell us what are some of the achievements and barriers in terms of implementation that Kenya has entered when it comes to devolution. Is it a hoax and a public understanding of the constitution? Paul. Uh, I wouldn't call it a hoax because this is something that is uh, at, the, at the epicenter of this constitution. Uh, it's part of what uh, has been termed as transformative in this document. And uh, calling it a hoax, is, uh, I, I don't think is the, is the right approach because uh, devolution indeed has, has changed a lot of things. Uh, for instance, we, we now record a situation where we uh, don't really have to come to Nairobi uh, so that they can get some essential services. Uh, these are services that have been devolved, and uh, generally, the evolution was to, you know, governance so that we the power like uh, in the presidency would now be devolved so that we have governors also taking charge of the county. So I think devolution as an idea uh, and as a concept in the constitution very uh, progressive. Uh, and it, uh, it, if it can really be implemented to, the, uh, to, to, to its best, it really makes tremendous progress. Uh, as regards public understanding of the Constitution of Kenya, uh, I wouldn't say that for me it would be a yes or a no answer. Yes, in terms of yes, really uh, the Constitution, and no, there's a faction of the society that doesn't understand uh, so many things that are. Uh, in terms of rights and their freedoms that are guaranteed in the constitution. So, uh, but, but generally, you look at the people who really understand things about the constitution, what I'd call informed people, as who are acquainted, uh, they listen to, you know, talk shows and, and so many things. Uh, and, and generally, the discourse of constitution and the rights. Uh, a good number of Kenyans will record that they, they've gotten to know about their rights in India. All these cases that come to court and they're highlighted by the media, I also had a chance for Kenyans to also learn uh, uh, about the rights that they have. So, and for those who don't know, really, uh, maybe you know, those who are still uh, marginalized, those who don't have access to maybe television, things like newspapers and and read. So. Uh, terms of the achievement in in the in the two uh, typologies and if I have to speak on the on the barriers of the implementation uh, I think for me the big barrier is political culture because uh once Kenyans uh, elect to serve the sovereign uh, authority acting leaders then uh, Basically, uh, bestow a lot of powers 
on leaders. And it's the, the duties of leaders to, the duty of be ahead the implementation process. Okay, thank you, Paul, for sharing. I'd like to narrow down to the youth, and I'd like Willie to jump into this. What are some of the constitutional rights of the youth, and what are some of the provisions touching on the youth? Thank you. I think the Constitution 2010 has several provisions that are effective and has the rights that have been given use. We begin with Article 20 of the Constitution. Article 20 of the Constitution discusses that uh, when uh, giving resources, men need to check the vulnerable costs and the vulnerable individuals or groups where youths are one of the vulnerable individuals. Also, Article 21, uh, sub-Article 3, also states that where uh, the government have the duty to address needs of youths and uh, other special group interests, so mentioned in Article 22, and that means the government have to provide needs and all other special interests. And then we have 55, which is now the major article of the Constitution, it directly speaks to youths as one of the special. Article 55 then says that the state should do an affirmative action that promotes several rights of youths. Some of such rights are the rights to get education and training, also to be to uh, participate in representation, and also employment uh, opportunities. And youths are also protected or should be protected. So Article 55 then gives a plethora of rights that youths can enjoy. In matters of participation, now we have several articles that also provide opportunities for youth to participate in the government of this country, like Article 97 in the membership of parliament, where youths need to be part of membership. Also Article uh, 98 in the membership of Senate still provides for a youth, uh, two youths of, uh, of different genders with uh, presented uh, at the Senate. So Article 177 uh, provides that youth should be a membership of the county assemblies. So such representations that provide rights for youth to express ideas and also to represent other youths at these uh, legislative processes. And then we have Article 100, which also uh, parliament to enact laws that will enhance uh, the benefits of special group interests and youth issue in Article 100 as uh, one of of uh, that are considered special category that parliament then should not propose to uh, consider. And then we have Article 260 that also define youth, uh, who is a youth, and it provides that a youth should be a person ranging from 18 years to 35. This definition, I think, is important because then it excludes others who may be uh, using their political muscles uh, pretend or behave to be youths, 
So I think the demarcation of the youth in Article 260 is important so that youths can be rightly identified and be given what they are promised in the Constitution. I have a question for William. He has mentioned all the articles that involve the youth. Um, and this year for International Youth Day, um, the topic was youth engagement. So in the constitution, you have mentioned all these articles that mention the youth and are tailored specific specifically for the youth. So do the youth understand this? Do they take advantage of this or do you see a gap? Youths, uh, I can say nine percentage of youths in this country doesn't understand, uh, do not understand that these uh, provisions or these rights are available for them. And the problem is that there is a asymmetry disseminating information. Youths just uh, have the general rights, they know of the general rights that the Bill of Rights provide, but they are not sure that we also have specific rights that are in the Constitution. The problem of this is just the way this information is communicated to youths and the manage in which it is distributed. Uh, William has highlighted one of the major um, constitutional rights of the youth is employment uh, opportunities. But in the current conversations and issues that are affecting the country, uh, one being corruption and unemployment, especially for the youth, how is this dealt with within the constitution? And how are they? How is it affecting the youth? Karen, would you kindly address that? Um, thank you. Um, with regards to unemployment, it's a very problematic area because it falls under social economic rights, which are according to the constitution at, under article 43 is supposed to be realized progressively. So as compared to other rights which are immediate, for example, right to dignity, no one can take that away from you. But the problem with the rights such as the right to, to housing, healthcare, education, which they're not a priority according to the constitution because they're supposed to be, to be realized according to maybe the availability of resources or availability of jobs, because it's not realistic to give everyone a job if they're not available. So I'd say it's actually a problem. And it's if the, the constitution says they're supposed to be realized pro progressively, then, I, then the government can have an excuse not to ensure that these rights are actualized, and that's exactly the same problem faced with the right to education. So the right the right to employment is not something that is we can say the constitution actively provides for it. It can it 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 can be derived from other rights, such as the right to life, because it's tie they tie in together because there's such things like a living wage and and the and right to maybe have a life a 
good livelihood with, when you check other rights in the constitution. But unfortunately, maybe the, the law doesn't expressly provide for such. But when it comes to the youth, as William has stated, Article 55 obligates the government to ensure that youth have access to training and also access to an, to employment. So different st stakeholders are mandated to ensure that there is reasonable employment so that youth are not left unemployed. So it's an obligation to the state and other stakeholders according to the constitution. But implementation maybe will be difficult given the nature of the rights that have already stated. But it's actually a problem that is facing Kenyan youth and maybe different stakeholders should be engaged in order to ensure that this constitutional constitutional right is actualized. Thank you, Karen, for jumping into the unemployment issue that is heavily affecting the youth. Um, corruption is also one of the major challenges that uh, is affecting the youth. So how is it dealt within the constitution? How is it dealt with within the constitution? William, would you mind jumping onto it? Okay, I can say our constitution had a good plan for curtailing the corruption issues. And uh, the problem is what Karen have identified, that we don't have the spirit of implementation. However, if we check the structure of the constitution, then there are, there are several avenues in which the framers of constitution ensure that this problem of corruption will not exist. We start with chapter 6 which uh, talks about leadership and integrity. And in the provisions, uh, Article 73, where we have responsibility of leadership, you see the constitution enhancing or calling for honesty in uh, Article 73, that they need to be honest and they also need to be integrity for the state officers. And there also need to be accountability to the decisions made and all those principles in which leaders are need to operate. We also have the same chapter where we have the financial uh, provision on financial probity of the state officers in Article 76, where the constitution says clearly that there is no state officer which should be allowed to seek benefit in a manner that doesn't give his or his integrity that uh, the constitution uh, intended. Also in chapter seven, uh, in uh, article 77, still we have provisions which are restricting uh, the corruption practice. You check article 79, the parliament is then allowed to come up with a law that will establish an institution which will be given the mandate to listen and control the corruption issues. And this institution is the, uh, the Anti-Ethics and Anti-Corruption Commission, which already has been also established and also given as one of the independent institutions in the uh, independent commissions article in the Constitution. So all these are structures which were put in place to ensure that the problem of corruption do not exist with us. But since 2010, and as others have observed, chapter six is the least implemented at, uh, article because it is the least part of the constitution which have been implemented. People are uh, like, it's just a matter of structure. We are putting up structures 
but what is then the spirit of doing it? We, the, the, the chapter itself also provides that we need not to elect leaders who have problems with integrity and also describe the type of leaders that need to be elected in office. But the Kenyan society still to just elect such leaders that have questionable characters. If you check, for example, in our context in the last elections, the ESCC gave list to the, the IPC of people who were not to be cleared for election, but they were still cleared and people elected them. And now we are getting problems from such failures. So I think there is a need just to reinforce that Chapter 6 needs to be implemented and not just the letter, but also the spirit provided therein. Thank you, William, for that. Um, from the discussion, what is coming about is that we are lagging behind in terms of implementation. Ten years on, a new referendum is introduced on the table, the BBI. So in light of this, is it really necessary? And who really has the final say? Paul, would you jump onto it? Uh, thank you. So as far as answering the question whether uh, the referendum is necessary, for me, I would say no. Reason being that uh, we've had a document that has really been described as a fantastic document. I think uh, we've had uh, both in the academia and judiciary, some the constitution as a, uh, the best constitution. And you see, the BBI, uh, the BBI is changing the constitutional order. The question I, that begs is why are we moving fast to change this constitution, rather to change the constitutional order when we have not fully implemented uh, the document that we have. So for me, I would say a referendum is not necessary at this moment. Maybe, maybe later on when we have tried and tried as much as possible to implement uh, many, uh, some of those provisions, uh, because we, we still are lagging behind in terms of uh, truly living to the spirit of this constitution. You know, when Kenyans promulgated this constitution, they they were certain that this constitution would solve many of uh, the things that had held them captive, but we're still far, so there's progress. And uh, for me, rushing into uh, uh, getting a, a new refer, uh, getting a, a uh, rushing into uh, changing the constitutional order is not appropriate at the moment because uh, let's face it. The BBI is simply political, and it's uh, uh, meant to, you know, benefit uh, the few political elites in this country. But then, what of the rest of the Kenyans? What of Wanjiku? And then, who has the final say? This idea is something that uh, can be answered by saying, "Me and you, we the people," because uh, the constitution. Uh, uh, bestows sovereignty uh, in the Kenyan uh, citizenry. But then, 
as much as Kenyans have the final say because if uh, yeah, there's, a talk, there's uh, going to be any referendum, then Kenyans are, are expected to line up and exercise that democratic right and vote for maybe whatever change that will be proposed. So, but but uh, looking at it keenly, uh, I would say that Kenyans really don't have the final say. This is something that is embedded on the leadership because look at even how we got the 2010 constitution. It was something that was spearheaded by the political uh, class. So uh, we are in a society where as much as Kenyans, some Kenyans know that they have the sovereign authority to decide whether to vote for a referendum or whether, you know, to elect leaders and all that, many of the decisions we make as regards voting, be it a referendum or elections or by elections, are influenced by the leaders. So, uh, and you'll record, some people have said that so long as such and such a leader has said that the BBI is okay and we need a referendum, they don't even care to read the BBI document and and just get a feel of it. Uh, but since a political leader said it's good and let's proceed with a referendum, uh, then they'll just say, yes, we, we want a referendum. So for, it's, a, it's a dicey area to really say that uh, I, I, ideally, sovereignty or rather the, the Kenyan people have final say, but this say is greatly influenced by the political leadership. Thank you, Paul. Um, anyone else with a different view from Paul? Yeah, I think I could have said much about BBI, but uh, for us to keep the conversation objective, uh, we need then to wait for the, uh, the official report, which, uh, according to the standard news yesterday, will be released by the end of this month. However, based on the initial draft, which was provided at Brumas, we can say that it's not a bad document because it is having some of the provisions that will may be beneficial to you, also beneficial to the other special groups like uh, women and the vulnerable. However, that one should not be the basis of our of argument because we are not sure what will be the what will be included in the final report that we are just expecting by the end of this month, September. Thank you, William. Um, wow. Okay, so any final remarks on the way forward in light of the issues we have discussed in terms of implementation process, the BBI? What would you, what would be your final remarks to the youth uh, and you yourself as a representative of the youth in Kenya? What would you have to say, Paul, Karen, and William? Um, my final say would be. As Jeff has mentioned, we, we the people have the power. The constitution gives the people a lot of power. The problem with, with, the, with Kenya is we are driven by political interest. So if we the youth are supposed to make a change or matter and maybe be involved in constitutional implementation and ensuring that the vision the constitution had for Kenyans when we promulgated it in August 2010 is reached, then we have to take back our power and 
and know that it is our constitution, it is us who brought it forth and take and take responsibility to ensure that it is being implemented in the right way and ensure that we and that the leaders that we elect are the ones who are going to maybe steer on and maybe uh, lead us in the way in which we are going to implement the constitution fully. So my final remark is for the youth as a youth in Kenya, we should take responsibility on the document of the constitution and ensure that it's being implemented in the right way because the constitution itself gives us the power to do so. Thank you, Karen. William, what would you have to say? Uh, my remarks are that as youths, we need to have the, the, the zeal to seek for information of what the constitution provides for us and other legislative bodies. It's high time that we make discussions both at the grassroots and also at the national level so that when we have information, then we can then use that information to fight for our rights and also to fight for the proper implementation of the constitution through the available means. Thank you. Finally, let's hear from Paul. Okay, thank you. Um, as far as, or rather, with regards to what I can, uh, as a youth, tell my fellow youths, is just, um, I'd maybe begin by saying what uh, former U.S. President Obama used to tell the Americans that that they should never wait for change to come. They themselves are the change. So the whole idea of waiting for someone uh, in position to uh, come and spearhead any discourse or any change or, or any, any, any debate on change as regards governance and leadership and youth inclusivity uh, should be obliterated. Uh, for, for, for what I can say also is uh, basically is the youth need to be very proactive in terms of participating in governance and uh, you know not just sitting and uh, relaxing there because we, we've, re we've realized that uh, there's a lot of power in coming together and uh, you know trying to build each other in that context and then maybe maybe to just sum it up or just uh, say that, all the issues that we are facing would be solved uh, uh, largely uh, with the political uh, leadership when they change their culture, or unless we get uh, the right leaders who can fully implement uh, these fantastic laws that we have, so that at the end of the day, those dreams and aspirations that Kenyans had when they voted uh, massively for this constitution would be real. Powerful remarks from Paul, William, and Karen. Thank you so much for joining us. We haven't fully wrapped up this session, so join us for episode 2 with the same guest as we share more on the constitutional journey of Kenya.